promptness. Unction for promptness. That is one message that you don't want to miss. By the way, God has already spoken all these things. We're just finalizing them as we get to them on a week-to-week basis. And we're also going to have some, some uh, um, uh, discussions on unction for productive labor. There is a difference between labor and productive labor. And when you receive the unction for productive labor, your, your, labor can, your labor life, whether secular work or ministry work, can never remain the same again. Because you are now working with the agenda of God, the mind of God. It is beautiful. I have a taste of it in my life, and I can share it with you by the grace of, and mercies of God. And then the last topic will be the unction for an enduring legacy. Hallelujah. So let's give the Lord a big hand for the nine weeks that are ahead of us and he wants to do great things. Praise the Lord. So we start today with unction. Let's help the children settle. We start today with unction for life and godliness. The word unction simply means inspiration and enablement. Okay, you are going to need you, you need to write very quickly today, and you are going to jot down a lot of scriptures as well, because I will quote a lot that may not necessarily be projected. Because it helps us when we go over the topics again to learn better. Inspiration and enablement. This is also known as anointing. Many times people wonder what anointing is. They say, I have an anointing for something. When you hear a minister say, I have an anointing for this, or a, a, a Christian say, I have an anointing for something, what they are saying is that I have an unction, I have inspiration from God, and also an enablement by God. There are two very important things that must go together. This is not motivational. A man can motivate you, but they cannot give you unction. That is why when you go for a motivational speech, your head will be this big. (laughs) Without God, when you get back, your head will come back to the normal size. (laughs) When they tell you that I started my restaurant business with one bag of rice, and today I have franchises all across the West Midlands, and your head is charged that I'm going to start my own business. If God is not in it with you, as soon as you heard all that story, when you come back, you see all the impossibilities. But unction comes in the same way, makes you see, like David, makes you see a giant, makes you see possibility, then enables you to take on that possibility. That's the big difference. There are many people who were under the unction of God in the the Bible, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we can count so many, but I'll just give you very quick some examples. In 1 Kings 18, you need to write that down. We are not turning to it. We have, we heard in verse 46 that, and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he outran the chariots of Ahab. That is unction. Somebody say unction. That hand is not God placing physical hand on him. It's the spirit of God coming into him and then physically enabling him to run faster than horses. That is what the Bible says. That is unction. There's an unction that came upon David, like I said earlier, a few minutes back, in 1 Samuel 16. This unction came on him by the way of Samuel, a prophet of their time, anointing him as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord rested upon David from that day forward. 1 Samuel 16. Now, when he appeared in 1 Samuel 17, he did what was seemingly impossible for mortal man to do. 
take on a giant that nobody could confront. Not even a king. Not even an army could confront. Somebody say unction. Jesus himself came and he talked about the unction upon his life. It was prophesied by Isaiah. And when he came in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He said the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to preach the good news to the captives. To deliver the oppressed. And he said this day, this word is fulfilled. This scripture is fulfilled to your hearing. Somebody say unction. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon the brethren who were praying, the early church, and he said to them, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Before that time, Saul, who became Paul, was more or less like a trainee. Having just been saved in Acts chapter 9, learning under Ananias in Acts chapter 10. And then we didn't hear much about him again. We started hearing again about Peter. And how Peter went to Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 11. But in Acts 13, when God was ready to take the baton and give Paul a freshness of assignment, the Spirit of God came to them and said to them, Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Barnabas was a more mature Christian, was somebody who could put balance. So God needed to put him just like he, he gave, kind of gave Aaron to Moses to be by his side. But of course, much more than Aaron, we know that Barnabas manifested in his own calling. But my point here is if you read Acts 14, 15, 16, then you will see the power of unction. When Paul in Acts 14 was ministering, in Acts, in Acts 16 was ministering, and that girl came out and was saying, these are the servants of the Most High. These are the servants of the Most High. In Acts 15, they were saying servants of the Most High. And Paul looked at her and rebuked the Spirit. That was the work of the unction. The unction of the Holy Spirit. And we can go on and on. So I'm laying this emphasis for you to understand that your Christian life does not need to be what it is today. If you are saved, you don't need to be at the level you are in today. And you don't need anybody else to give you more power. You have access. None of my biological children needs to speak to their uh, uh, any of their siblings to get anything from me. They have direct access to me. The same way children of God have direct access to God. That doesn't mean we don't have respect for institutions. We don't have respect for constituted authority or leadership. That's not what I'm talking about. The work of leadership and constituted authority is to help us fulfill purpose, to guide us and make teams work and give us efficiency in pulling everyone together. Not so much of us depending on leadership for the things that we can get directly from God. That is why in this church, we teach you how to pray for yourself. We teach you how to study the word and understand it for yourself. And of course, we come together and share experience so that you can learn from others who may know one or two things that you are just learning. So make yourself available for those things if you want to stand strong as a Christian. Job chapter 32 Verse 7 is where I want to start the scriptures I want to read today. The Bible says, I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Let's read verse 8 together, thank you. But there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. The breath there simply means the unction. 
the inspiration. Some verses, actually, some translations, versions actually say the, the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. Verse 9. Why do we need that? Look at verse 9. Let's go together. Great men are not always wise, nor the aged always understand justice. This Christian race is not a race of experience. This is why you can see somebody who has been born again and been in church life for 10 years, being virtually overtaken, in quote, by somebody who just gave their life to Christ in a month. It depends on how they allow, verse 8, go back to verse 8. It depends on how they allow that spirit that is in them to be open to the breath of the Almighty so that they can have understanding. Then they know their rights. Somebody can be in the faith without this inspiration for five years, ten years, and have less understanding to somebody who is just coming in one year but has allowed their spirit man to get continuously fed by this breath of the Almighty. It is a relationship with the Holy Spirit that facilitates this. I'm just giving us some backgrounds on how to walk in this unction, whatever unction it is, even though we are concentrating on life and godliness today. First John chapter 2, verse 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have an unction from the Holy One. Some versions also say, you have an unction from the Holy One. You can see the Holy One there is not a person. It's in capitals, which means, initial caps, which means it's talking about God. You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. On Wednesday, we were having a Bible study discussion, and our typical time is on Wednesdays online. If you don't join those sessions, I encourage you to do so. It's, it's, it's free to join. It's, you can join from anywhere through Zoom. So if you need to have access, make sure you speak to somebody here, either Brother Folari or Pastor Moses or myself, so that we can get you connected and make sure that you are always attending. Now, somebody asked a question that why do people like to just be interested in knowing tomorrow? And many reasons came up. People are afraid of tomorrow. It is the unknown and so on and so forth. Now, when people have understanding that they have an unction and anointing from the Holy One and they know all things, they will not go about looking for palm readers, looking for clairvoyants, looking for witches, looking for wizards, and those people who conjure spirits seemingly to try to read their palms and tell them about tomorrow. They waste their time doing so. Because those people in many cases, of course, in some cases there are mediums that consult the dark world and the devil can give them things that can help them in their trade. Like that woman, that lady that was that used to be uh, foretelling in Acts chapter 16, like I quoted earlier on. But the, re the reality is that there is a clean way you can continue to know what you need to know. Say to me, say with me, everything I need to know by the Holy Spirit will be told me when I need to know it. If you live like this and you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have no problem. When I pray and I don't understand what something, when something is happening around me or in a church member's life and I just don't understand, there are loads of issues like that. From time to time I pray and I don't hear anything. 
God doesn't tell me. It will be arrogance to say he always tells me this is what is happening. That is what, No, there are times he says nothing. And you have to be humble enough to respect his sovereignty. Because if you need to know, he will tell you. Hallelujah. The Bible says the secret things belong to him. But those things that are revealed, Deuteronomy 29, 29, those things that are revealed, there are things he reveals, there are things he will not reveal. So when he says, put back 1 John 2, 20 for me again. When he says, you have an unction from the Holy One, 1 John 2, 20, please. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. It means everything that you need to know. Hallelujah. Because I've seen people pray this, preach, uh, this scripture and say, I know all things, I know all things, and so I must know this. No, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. They told that man in John chapter 9, they say a sinner is, is the one that made you whole. He healed your blindness. He said, do you know he's a sinner? Do you know he's from the devil? The man said, I don't know whether he's a sinner. <laughs> but one thing I know, <laughs> there was a time I was blind. I could not see. But now I can see. That's why you cannot confuse me. I know that. Hallelujah. I don't care. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you're, 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 you're wanting to know everything, everything, every time. It's a waste of time. But all you need to know is the God who knows all things and tells you what you need to know per time by unction. Then life becomes simpler. I'm not saying be lazy. Lazing about and just say, you know, hey, whatever will be, will be. God is in charge. That kind of life. That's not what I'm talking about. You need to pray. You need to trust God. You do your bit. But when you pray, the Bible says, having done all, you do what? You stand. When you pray and whatever he says to you to do, do. Whatever he did not say, just wait. And just do whatever else he tells you to do. God is ever faithful. Hallelujah. So this unction helps us to know all things that pertains to life and godliness. Now we were earlier on, Dr. Ephraim read for us 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 to 11. We will unpack those scriptures as much as we're able to in the time we have today. And I want to start by saying that this Peter's letter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, please find time to read them. I was reading them today uh, over the night and I was finding a heartfelt uh, letter written by one of the people that walked closest to Jesus, telling them about their rights as Christians. And he also told them things about family, told them things about leadership, so many things there. But you see, in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'll start from verse 2. When he was talking to these believers, verse 2, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied. As you know God and as you know Jesus, more grace, more peace. I say more grace, more peace. Multiplied grace, multiplied peace. In the name of Jesus. This is why you keep going for knowledge. As he will soon emphasize again. Verse 3. Let's read verse 3 together. Everybody, one, two, go. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power has given to us all things. Somebody say all things. Now stand to your feet and put your right hand on your forehead. We're, we're preaching slightly differently today. Say, Lord, I thank you. Open your mouth. Say, Lord, I thank you for your divine power that has given to me Everything, everything, everything that pertains 
to the to life and godliness through the knowledge of God and of Christ. Thank you, Lord, because that divine power is at work in me today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together and have your seat. Amen. It's not a yo-yo, but anytime God asks me to do that, you will stand up again and do it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Everything that we need for life and godliness. So our knowledge of God and of Christ gives us this access to this divine power. Friends, this knowledge talks about interaction. It's not a one-time affair. If you want to know God, you know him first by reading, by instruction, like you are hearing now. It's another opportunity to know something of God. But you take it and go further to interact with it. You study the word of God yourself. You learn more about him. It is a choice you have to make. So through it, we have life. This life refers to eternal life. This is what we call the God kind of life. I have seen many people say, oh, I have life. Friends, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 tells us that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You can write that down and read it later on. 1 John 5, 12. Everyone on earth who has no personal relationship with Jesus Christ is existing. Only those who have come to him and surrendered to him have life. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus speaking, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This life is the God kind of life. You can write down John 14, 6. Again, write down 1 Timothy 1, 17. The Bible says, now unto the king eternal, unto the king immortal, unto the king invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. You need to have scriptures like this known very well. This is why you need to teach yourself some songs. In the 80s and 90s, one of the things we did that helped us to learn a lot of scriptures is that we used to hear songs that were just scripture. This very verse was a song. We are sung by Don Moen. How many of you know it? It's very old. Now, unto the king eternal, unto the reigning king. Yeah? That's where we learn it. And so, when I'm quoting it, I'm actually singing that song in my head. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Don't sing songs that are not teaching you anything. I won't sing such here now. Don't worry. <laughs> They're teaching you nothing. Don't sing those kind of songs. Sing songs that teach you scriptures. And scriptures stay in you. Hallelujah. This is life eternal. Life eternal. This is the God kind of life. This eternal life is first a choice. Somebody say it is a choice. And then a walk of faith. Say it is first a choice. And then a walk of faith. To walk in eternal life you have to choose. <laughs> this is what Joshua said in Deuteronomy chapter 30. After taking over from Moses. To lead the people to the promised land. Look at verse 19. Let's read it together. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you what? Life and death. There's nothing in between. It's either life or death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, do what? Choose life 
that both you and your descendants may live. Somebody say with me, I choose life today. Choose life. Do you know that life is all about choices? It's a choice. You are here today, it's a choice. You have a choice not to be here. Everything you are wearing from your wig to your, I didn't look at anybody. <laughs> from your wig to your shoes. <laughs> there were five wigs staring at you. <laughs> Different kinds of colors. You know, for many years I was confused. I used to say, how did these women do it? <laughs> Yesterday it was brown, today it's black. How do they change this hair so quickly? Until I married one and I understood. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everything you are wearing, you chose them. Consciously or unconsciously. So we cannot overemphasize the power of choice. Joshua said, choose life. You are looking at a decision here. Life and death. There is no in between. There is no kind of a bit of both. It is either life or death. He said, choose life. Because there is blessing and cursing. So choose life so that you and who? Your descendants can live. This journey of salvation is one that ratifies you in the covenant and also helps your descendants to come into the covenant. When Peter, when Paul talked to that jailer in Acts 16 also, he said, believe on the Lord in verse 31 and you shall be saved, you and your household. When Peter got to the house of Cornelius, it was Cornelius and his household. So the power to have your family saved is right in your hand. If you make that choice, then you have the work of faith to establish it because that is covenant. Hallelujah. He said, what should you be doing? Verse 20. Let's look at verse 20 together now. He said, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. Somebody say, obey his voice. Obey. Look at your neighbor. Say, keep obeying his voice. He said, that you may cling to him. Tell your neighbor for me, walk with him. Why? For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. In our own case, we are not looking for a physical land anymore. We are looking to be partakers of the heavenly Jerusalem. It's not the Jerusalem that is in the Middle East as beautiful as that place is. I've had the privilege of being there once in my life so far. Beautiful place, but that's not what we're looking forward to. There is a heavenly Jerusalem that is coming for as many who choose life through Jesus Christ, who is now being made the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, life is of its choices. In the, a few weeks back, I listened to a story by Joel Osteen, very powerful story he gave. He said two brothers were born by an alcoholic father. And when we say alcoholic, it's not somebody who just took a shot every now and then. A drunk who could not make anything out of life. And they suffered growing up. But somehow, the two of them managed to go to school, do a bit of training here and there. But one of them went on to become super successful. Very, extremely successful. And there are many stories like that, of course. But one, obviously, just followed the same pattern of his father. Also became a drunk, a recluse, never made anything of life, became a liability to family and community. Somehow, the press people got a hold of their story and they got the two of them together in one room. And they asked the one who didn't make something out of life. They said, 
why have you become what you have become? He said, because my father was a drunk and he did not teach me anything else. Then they said, but they turned to his brother. They said, then how? Listening to your brother, how did you manage to turn around your life? Now he said the same thing. He said, because my father was a drunk and I chose not to become a drunk to end up like him. Two people, the same father, the same mother, the same situation, the same history, the same background, but different choices. May God continue to help us make the right choices in life. In the name of Jesus. When I was coming into ministry, I chose to walk with God because I understood. Everywhere I had pastors, they would say, they suffer, they are laboring, and it is hard, it is tough. I said, Lord, your promise is that you will give rest. I choose to have rest. It's a choice. Don't go into marriage listening to people who have chosen to make life difficult for themselves. You say, you want to get married now? Come and see me for counseling. And then you sat down there, you say, you see, get ready for a very, very tough ride. Just pack your bag and whatever you went there. <laughs> Just leave their place with, with due respect. <laughs> That's not what you want to listen to. <laughs> there was one, 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 one uh, story I heard of a woman who had been divorced about four times and she was now a marriage counselor. So somebody went into the room, a couple went in there and they started asking me, ah, with all this advice you are giving, fantastic. So the woman, the, the lady of the couple asked, where, so can we meet your husband? One day, she said, I don't have a husband. In fact, this is the fourth time I've been divorced. The couple quietly packed their bags <laughs> because the thing was going well so far, but hopefully it won't land to where she is living her own life. <laughs> Now, I'm not making a joke of people. People have had to divorce sometimes very painfully and not of a fault of theirs. So I'm not making a mockery of that painful, painful uh, kind of experience. But you know something? You have to keep making up your mind to make the right choices in this life. Say to your neighbor again, choose life. So that choice gives us access to the precious promises of God. We read that in verse 4. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 again. He said, by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly, verse 4 now, verse 4, thank you. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. Now, reach your hand out and say, I want to be a partaker. I want to be a partaker. You see how I'm doing it? The part you grab, then you take to yourself. Say, I want to be a part taker. So the word partaker means you are looking at the knowledge of God, the immortality of God, the divinity of God, the stresslessness of God, the power of God, and you are a part taker. Hallelujah. He said we have been given... To us, exceedingly great and precious promises by which we have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let us continue to work very hard to be partakers. You can take a part today. That's why Paul said we know in part, so we prophesy in part. You can come next Sunday and take another part. You go home and take another part. 
That's how it works. We keep taking that part and taking that part and taking that part until one day we have the whole part and we'll be exactly like he looks. Hallelujah! The Bible says that day we shall be exactly like him. But whilst we are on this journey, we continue to rely on the unction to be partaking, partaking, partaking. Hallelujah. So it is that divine nature that also gives us unction for godliness. So we've talked about life. We've talked about eternal life and the importance of eternal life. But we must also now understand that we can partake of his godliness. Now, I'll also make a plug here. A few months ago, I think about three months ago now, we went through another nine-part series, those of you that would remember, just this year, earlier this year, called Unraveling the Mystery of Godliness. Unraveling the Mystery of Godliness. And for nine weeks, thereabouts, we read 1 Timothy 3.16. Now, I expect that all of you should be able to quote it now because every week we, write, we read it that time. Okay? It says, and without controversy, it's not going to be projected. So, there's nothing to shake your mouth to. If it was on the screen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Before I go, remember that my friend in secondary school, we used to have a biology teacher. He would say, those, those kind of uh, classes of animals are called, maybe the answer is crustaceans or crustaceans. He would say, they are called, the whole class will echo crustaceans. <laughs> And anything he's calling, they are called whatever he will call it out, and then everybody will echo it. So I had a friend that got a trick. He said all he did was that he would wait. He had one or two people that he knew, always knew the answer. So he would just watch their lips. As soon as they start talking, he too will call whatever they are calling. <laughs> he said, so this one day, the biology teacher looked in his direction. He said they are called, and his friends did not say anything. So he looked at this, you guys won't talk. <laughs> You guys should talk now. <laughs> Hallelujah. The reality is that every one of us must be able to know some of these things for ourselves. First Timothy 3.16, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was what? Manifested in the flesh. Number two, justified in the spirit. Number three, seen of angels. Number four, Preached on in the world, number five. Believed on in the world. And number six, you should know that one. Received up into glory. So manifestation, godliness is about, the Bible says it's a mystery, but it's about the manifestation we have as earthly manifestation in the flesh and ultimately becoming our, and being transformed into our heavenly glorification. Redemption is the pathway. So the Bible says he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so every one of us must continue to walk that walk of transformation. Amen. Amen. Now the Bible says in first, Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. He said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge. Faith brought you to salvation. You are saved today. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not our own doing, but it is the gift of God. So we have faith. Somebody say, I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. 
So you have faith. And the faith you have is what has given you your standing as a child of God. Now, very importantly, he said, for this very reason, you need to diligently add, add, increase, put on top of, add. This is very important. Because you see, many of us are very conscious of the fact that we have faith. And we are comfortable with the fact that we have faith, which is fine. And there is a heretic message that says once you have faith, you have faith and you are saved. You are saved forever. And so you need to do nothing. Just keep relying on the grace of God. As true as that may sound in the sense that truly you can do nothing by in your strength, in your power, you need the grace of God. The Bible says you need to add to your faith. Add. Add to your faith by diligence. Go back to verse 5, please. He said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. The word virtue there, write it down, means moral standards. Moral standards. It represents the integrity of God. Add to your faith the moral standards and the integrity of God, the power and the integrity of God. Every one of us will remember that when that woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus Christ, the Bible says as he touched her, as, he touched, as she touched him at, at the hem of his garment, Jesus said, somebody touched me because what has left me? Virtue has left me. The power that makes possible for people to be healed. Because instantly the woman's blood was dried. The issue, blood that was, the issue of blood was dried up. And so it is important that we realize that when the Bible says add to your faith virtue, it means add to your faith the nature and the integrity of God. It is very important. The power of God. Add to your faith. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. He says, if anything is of virtue, think on those things. Check and sanctify your thought life every time. If you want the unction to function for life and godliness to be potent in your life, keep being virtuous. It is a work of intentionality to continue to make sure that you are sanctifying your thought, you are sanctifying your life, and you are adding to your faith those things that are of virtue. Those things that are of a good report. And then in verse 5, it also says, And to virtue, add knowledge. Add knowledge. To virtue, knowledge. On top of your virtue, keep adding knowledge. Knowledge, John 8, 32. The Bible says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It will set you free. So you need to understand, everything that you need to continually overcome in your life, you need knowledge. You need knowledge. Even in your secular work, you understand that the best performance you put up is to the level to which you know. The day you acquire more, you can do more. Hallelujah. Have you ever sat with a colleague? You are trying to work through a document. Uh, and let's say, I was, I was working with somebody on a spreadsheet the other day, and we were on, on Teams. So we're doing it kind of virtually together. And I was changing the things, and the formula that they sent to us was all over the place. So the thing wasn't correct, but he couldn't see that it wasn't correct. So I went into the formula tabs and started changing some of the formulae, and the thing was bringing out results. He said, David, how do you know these things, that I have not done these things? I said, 
I've been learning this this year. <laughs> and it's true. I used to program in Excel as far back as 1999. So today, I'm not an expert, but at least those things that can make you get by, you know, when you, <laughs> when you are stuck. <laughs> it's not a problem. But you see, the guy is meant to be a senior person to me. He never knew those things. He said, you have taught me a lot of things today. I said, I have more to teach you. Now, let's go to the next place. <laughs> Add to your virtue that moral standing that you have in God, not by your power, but by the unction, by the inspiration and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Add to it knowledge. Don't try to study God with head knowledge. Don't try to understand God with human reasoning. Human reasoning has no capacity to decipher God. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you about the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and God the Father. When the Holy Spirit teaches you about Trinity, it settles for you. When your brain is trying to reason it, you say, it's nonsense, man. <laughs> because your brain will say, this is person, this is person, this is person together. They are one that is crazy, man. It can't happen. <laughs> that is human reasoning. But the Holy Spirit will show you how they are so three and distinct and yet they are one. Easily. Add to your virtue knowledge. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Put your right hand on your forehead. Say, Father, control. Somebody say discipline. Say discipline. You have knowledge. You have virtue. You have knowledge. You have faith. You have virtue. You have knowledge. Now you need discipline. Add self-control. What Peter was saying here are tips to help you walk in the fullness of your justification in Christ. He said, add self-control. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I am running this race in such a way, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, he said, I'm running in such a way so that I can obtain. We're not turning to it, but write it down. And then 1 Corinthians 9, 27 say, but I discipline my body. I discipline my body. I apply self-control. Again, a fruit of the Holy Spirit we read about in Galatians 5, 23. He said, by the Holy Spirit, you have a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. You discipline your body. This body that you are in, till we see Jesus, will always be wanting to put you in trouble. It will want to look at the wrong things. It will want to eat the wrong things. It will want to say the wrong things. Because it is so easily accessible to the enemy. And so you and I must understand that we have a responsibility to continue to exercise self-control. Now, the Bible always talks about self-control, but we have a generation that likes to control others more than themselves. We have spouses who pray that their spouses should change. You understand? The man will be praying, Lord, if only you can change my wife. <laughs> The woman is praying in her corner, Lord, if only you can change my husband. <laughs> when that kind of prayer is going on, what they are both saying is we need change, but we are putting it on somebody else. Learn to take responsibility. Again, a generation that hates responsibility. Who did this? Oh, we don't, we don't it's that person. Who wrote this email? I wrote the first one, but the second one did not come from. <laughs> A generation that is afraid of responsibility. No wonder we are all over the place today. For many years, in the last 10 years, I've been studying the history of my home nation, Nigeria. 
Because I've been asking myself, how can a country have so much potential and yet is, is just completely off track? So I've been looking at Nigeria in the 1950s and particularly in the 1960s. And it is clear to me that the country started okay. But you see, there was a lot of things that happened in that space of time that if, because they were not arrested, they ballooned to become irresponsible things. Those days, 29-year-olds were seizing government. They seized government. 29-year-olds. These days in that country, some 29-year-olds are just thinking about what they want to do. <laughs> they were very brilliant people. They spoke good, clean English. The first prime minister of the country went and addressed the American Congress in 1962. I was stunned. I was stunned. Such dictum, such sharpness. A man from the north of Nigeria, where some of the citizens there today are, are killing cows all over the place. Friends, we need to understand something about self-control. We have a choice to continue to respond to environment and become what we want to become. But at the same time, we have a duty to allow the Holy Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit, to help us to walk in self-control. Taking responsibility for our actions every time. Say, Lord, help me to be self-controlled. And then he said to your self-control, add perseverance. Add perseverance. This is another virtue that we must have. Perseverance means that we are persistently pushing forward regardless of opposition. Persistently pushing forward. There is a difference between endurance and perseverance. Endurance means you are developing ability to cope with whatever is thrown at you. So you are on the defensive. When the Bible talks about endurance, you are on the defensive. By the Holy Spirit, you can endure. But what the Bible, what the Word of God wants you to do is to persevere. So you are not just enduring and coping, but you are pushing forward persistently in the direction of your calling. You are persistently pushing forward, persevering. There is nobody who will achieve anything in this kingdom that will not be opposed by the enemy in one way or the other. It is just a matter of time. So he said, you must add to your self-control perseverance. We read that also in Galatians 5.22. And then to perseverance, it talks about the whole principle of godliness itself. He said to perseverance and add godliness. Add that mystery. Understanding that mystery that continues to take you as a mortal person continuously. Responding not as a mortal that you were born, but now as the new man in Christ. That is godliness. Responding always to everything that is thrown at you, not as the carnal man, as you are persistent and you are persevering. You must be somebody who is also leading yourself in godliness consistently. Lead yourself in godliness. Lead yourself in godliness. Responding by the power of the Spirit in the line with the will and, and, and purposes of God for your life. Hallelujah. When somebody says something to you, you have a choice to, remit, to, to, to react like the old man or the new man. You have a choice. Some of us, we first react like the new man. And after doing that, we say, if not for, then that you have spoiled the whole thing. <laughs> you have done the right thing by reacting like the new man. Then when you now go back and say, if not that I'm born again, you have finished. <laughs> you have actually just reacted like the old man. 
There is no need to say, if not that I'm born again. I can't take that nonsense. <laughs> Brethren, hallelujah. So react like the new man and stay like the new man. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Somebody is trying to slander your name. They're trying to mess up your testimony. And they're doing everything to and nail. And you're hearing it all over the place. And then you suddenly have an opportunity to give them back in their own coin. And you have an audience that is waiting and eager. Do you know people like gossip? People like gossip. A lot. People enjoy gossip. They may sleep when you are preaching, but if it's gossip, they will not sleep. <laughs> Everybody's ears are open. If they did you know, everybody looks like that. Did you hear? Everybody looks like that. There's this funny story of uh, three preachers who went. One day they said, let's take some time away. We have been working so hard. Let's just, you know, take, take, take a hike. And uh, they went boating and they got on this boat and they were rowing and just enjoying the serenity of the lake. And suddenly one of them had an idea. I said, you know, we preachers don't usually have the opportunity to offload some of our challenges. Let's, let's confess to one another what those challenges are and let's, so that we can pray for each other and support each other. So the first one said, well, guys, I, I really don't like to admit this, but I'm still addicted to gambling. Every night I play the lotto and the <laughs> all those things. I take the numbers and put all the pawns in place. And honestly, I can't, I've prayed and prayed. And I'm, the, the, the family's resources are dwindling. And uh, at times, sadly, you know, I, I, I find myself in very bad situations because of this problem. They said, oh, no, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Then the second one said, the truth is this. I have an addiction for food. Even when I tell church members to fast, I go back secretly and I have to take something. <laughs> they say, wow, wow, we'll pray for you. Then the third one kept quiet. And they kept all rowing. They kept all rowing. Ah. They said, Pastor, this, speak. He didn't talk. They said, no, all of us have confessed. You have to see your... <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, since you have said I should talk, my problem is gossip. <laughs> In fact, I'm just waiting for this boat to get to this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't contain it anymore. <laughs> I have to go and say this thing I've heard. <laughs> they all of them shook their head and saw that. <laughs> you see how gossip is such a big problem? <laughs> And honestly, we laugh about these things, but this is one of the reasons why we find it difficult to practicalize scriptures like confess your faults one to another. The truth is, which brother can you trust? Which brother can you trust that you can tell them wholeheartedly that you are still struggling with something in your life? Which sister can you trust that is not itching to get to the next assembly <laughs> to tell them about it? So godliness means that we are always not allowing carnality to prevail. Verse 7, very quickly now, verse 7. He said, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. So we add to godliness, brotherly kindness. There is no way we can live effectively in this world without being kind to one another. The Bible says we should be kind to one another. Kindness is a virtue God extended to us. We must continue to extend it to others. Extend kindness to your spouse. Extend kindness to your children. 
extend kindness to your brethren at church. Extend kindness. Like I've always said, it doesn't mean that because we are asked to be kind to one another, we now behave anyhow and demand kindness. The Bible never ever said expect kindness, but it said be kind. So it is evil to be expecting kindness per se. That is placing a demand on people to be kind to you simply because you don't want to take care of your own life. That's not what we're saying. But you must be extending kindness to others. Brotherly kindness. And then it says, and to brotherly kindness, love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, these three, faith, hope, and love, are abound. He said, but above all is love. Love is the greatest. Somebody say with me, love is the greatest. The Bible makes us to understand in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, let us love one another. For love is of God. And anyone who loves is born of God. For God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. No one can truly say they love God if they don't love their brother or their sister. So we can have the faith. We can have the virtue. We can have the knowledge. We can quote all the scriptures. We can do all the stuff. We can, we can have self-control, to be quite frank. We, we can have those things that, you know, we're persevering and it's clear that we can, we can persevere. We can have elements of godliness that show that we carry ourselves very well. And even show kindness to friends. But if we do not have genuine love, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that we are of men very miserable. Love is the greatest, and we must continue to walk in love. I want to complete this by just quickly touching on the last few verses we read in 1 Peter 1 from verse 8. We have to keep relying on this function to make sure what God has called us to do in this life is guaranteed. You will walk in the fullness of God's call for your life as you do these things. Let's look at 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He said, for if these things, verse 8, let's read together. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these things, if faith, virtue, love, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, he said, if these things are yours and you abound in them, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. So you want your knowledge life in God to be sharper. You want to have regular access to the things of the Spirit. Walk in these things. There is a way God relates to as many who are totally yielded to him, separately from those who are yielded today, not yielded tomorrow. Every one of us must press into this kind of life and godliness that helps us to continue to draw from the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. He is only enjoying the, the convenience of the moment. He is not allowing himself to stretch past the demands of the today so that he can have a better tomorrow. He said they are short-sighted even to blindness and then they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their old sins. When you refuse to be kind, it means that you do not understand that God was kind to you. That's why you can be a believer in the first instance. Every one of us must persevere. When we want to help brethren to persevere, we must remember how God helped us to persevere. Let's not look down on people. 
Not everybody will know how to do things the way we know how to do them. Some people just don't have the natural capacity that we have. Let us understand this. The most foolish thing, especially again in spousal relationships, is for couples to expect themselves or to demand from their partners or their spouses what is impossible for their spouses to deliver. It's impossible. It's a foolish thing. And you have seen it, that this person can't do this. And you are asking them to do it every day and it's becoming it's a, a contention. It's foolishness. They can't do it. They can't do it. Some people can't draw. Like me. I can't draw. Give me a computer, I will draw. But with this hand, whatever you see, that is what it is. <laughs> that is my kind of drawing. <laughs> it has never been my strength. When we were in primary school, they put a tire on a table. And it faced this way. Somehow, till today, I drew concentric circles like they say we should draw. When they look at my own, it was facing this way. Till today, I don't know how my own turned the other way. <laughs> that was the day I first knew that, okay, this is not your strength. <laughs> so, if I had a wife who loves to sit down and have somebody do her natural portrait, she would be frustrated. <laughs> because all I would be able to draw is a stick man with some hair like that. That's all I can draw. Give me some other things, baby. What I'm trying to say is this. Let us understand how we need to always remember that we shouldn't be short-sighted. He said, therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your call and election sure. Verse 10. There is a call and election upon your life. You need to make it sure. And by the grace and mercies of God, you will make it sure. I say you will make it sure. Friends, the fulfillment you have in life is doing what God has sent you to this world to do. Believe me. You'll find energy doing it. You'll find blessings doing it. You'll find peace doing it. You have everything that comes your way when you find yourself right in the middle. And it doesn't always have to be this thing. It doesn't have to be pulpit. Many people just cannot move away from when they hear ministry, they think it's pulpit or lead a church. It doesn't have to be. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. It could be part of a church or part of a, a, a movement or something that is causing some impact. The way you locate it, you'll find that every other thing. By the grace of God, I do many things in life, but there's nothing that gives me so much energy like what I'm doing right now. Nothing. I get blessed a lot with the things I do in other places. I don't get paid for doing this, by the way. But in the many other things I do, I get lots of money to the glory of God. I do get paid for my services, for the things I do. As a lecturer, as a consultant, I do get paid and I'm grateful. But to say the real energy I have on a week-to-week basis, this is, this is where I find it. <laughs> it propels everything else. Hallelujah. Not because I'm pastor here. Way before I became a pastor of a church to the glory of God, everywhere I served, I served as if that was the last assignment. So find your passion in God and watch him do something new. Say with me, from today, I will be more diligent to make my calling an election sure so that I will never stumble. Please rise to your feet with me. Everything God wants to do in our lives, he's set to do. We're going to break bread today by way of the communion. Where?